If you see in your bulletin, the text today is in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. And last Sunday, uh, Pastor Chris preached on two verses, and it took him about half an hour. So I have six verses today, so please <laughs> be comfortable in your seats, because it may take a while. And I put a few summaries there uh, under the, the title I called the... Uh, Peace that surpasses all understanding. That's a text we'll be covering today. And I, I said, these are Paul's practical secrets for peace in our hearts and minds. And then I put something that I grasped from a Timothy Keller sermon on this text, where he untangles the meaning of the impact of the words, peace, of God, peace with God, peace of God, and the God of peace. So we're going to try to cover all that uh, this morning in the study of this text. So please, if you have your Bible, we use the ESV translation. We have some in the back, in the back table, if you want to follow. I'm going to go back to the text several times, so if you keep it open, that probably would be easiest and the best. So Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Let's read. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonably, reason, reasonableness, yeah, you, you know what I mean, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any, anything worthy of praise, think about the, these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity, the freedom we have to be together, to open your word, to look for the lessons you have for us uh, this morning. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit be present here, opening our hearts, using my words, Lord, to bring your message to, to us uh, this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. I'm back from two weeks being out, and during my vacation, I was reading again Mere Christianity from C.S. Lewis. I recommend if you guys want to, to take the time to go through it. And I went through a, an illustration that he uses, and I made my, my own version of it. Um, but I think that will put what we're going to be discussing in the proper perspective uh, this morning. He talks about two men that claim to know the ocean. The first guy is an oceanographer. He has the maps, he knows the currents, the water temperatures, the, the size of the ocean, the whole map. He knows about the ocean. He makes speeches about it. He has a master's degree. So he says, I know the ocean. Second guy is a fisherman. He wakes up every morning. He goes to fish. He, 
knows the taste of the fish from the sea. He swims in the ocean. He feels the salty water on his skin. He says, I know the ocean. So the question would be, which one of these two men really know the ocean? Well, I guess you could say both, or you could say neither, because they both have a partial view of the, of the ocean. Well, the Word of God presents the message to us in different manners. Last time I had the opportunity to be preaching here, it was a have doctrine-based study that, that we did in Philippians 2. I'll go there for a second in a, in a, in a minute. Today is a way more practical thing. So the, the other day was more the oceanographer perspective, and today is a little more the fisherman perspective. But the way I would summarize this, I think I want to have both. I want to have the, the intellectual knowledge, the understanding of God's message uh, for us, and I also want to experience the relationship with him. I want to feel the salt water in my skin, uh, on my skin as, uh, as we go through life. So both have value, so I guess we need an oceanographer, fisherman, and that's what we're going to try to be as we look at this. So we want to know about the ocean, the ocean of God's words uh, uh, for us. Again, there are moments in the scriptures that are focused in revealing to us God's nature, his plans for us, his purpose for us. And there are other points where it's a very personal, a very relational thing that is being described. Again, I don't want to consider one more important than than the other. It's absolutely fundamental that we understand God's will, God's purpose, God's plan for humanity. And, and it's also very important that we experience it. Uh, throughout my life, I've seen churches that lean a little too much in one or the other direction. There are some churches, the one I grew up particularly, it was very good at uh, great Bible studies, great sermons, a lot of knowledge about God and maybe not enough on the experience side. And there are maybe some churches that lean a little too much to the experience side and leave out the, the part of the knowledge. So I want to make sure that we understand they are both extremely important. So I will go back a little bit to what we discussed last time in case you were not here or you were in the first service and we lost sound that day, if you guys remember. We were in Philippians 2. And I'm going to go back quickly to verses 5 through 8. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, that's the... That's the gospel. That's the basic fundamental message. Jesus is God. He agreed, he accepted to empty himself from his glory, come here as a man, live a, a life that was perfectly pleasing to the Father, die on a cross to pay the penalty of the sins that you and I have so we can have a relationship with God again. It was through the sacrifice that Christ did that we can have peace with God. Okay, we are naturally enemies of God. I mean, all of us have seen 
sin creates that separation, so we are enemies. But it's a, an interesting situation because <laughs> we are enemies of God, but the enemy loves us. <laughs> it's, a, it's a different situation because God wanted us to not be his enemies, and he provided the, the plan for us to have the relationship with him. If I look at what Paul wrote to the Romans, we were in the car driving during our vacation, and Liz was reading this in one of her devotionals, so I incorporated here because it's, it's great. Romans 5, 1 through 5, Paul says the following, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay, so summarizing that side, peace with God through Jesus by faith. So we are not no longer enemies of God. That's fundamental. That's Christology 101. The oceanographer would explain that to anybody that wanted to, to hear uh, about this. So I hope you are still with me because now we're going to go to the fisherman, fisherman's perspective about the experience with God. And the, the verses that we read today, I'm going to divide them in a few smaller slices so we can go through them. So verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Well, I, I read that and I was thinking in preparing this sermon, I said, that's not really natural. That's not something that we do by nature, that it's easy and well, okay, we it doesn't matter the circumstance, we're always rejoicing. It's not natural, and I think Paul agrees with me, otherwise he would not so emphatically insist on this. When he says, rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say rejoice. If he, he is pleading with the Philippians to do that, I don't find another verse in this epistle or any other one that Paul says, breathe always. I will say again, breathe. I mean, that's not there because that's natural. This, we need to work on it. It's something that we need to keep developing this week. We have to understand intellectually and our emotions have to, to follow that so we can remember to not focus on our feelings, but the fact that we belong to God, that we have peace with God, okay? Now, I want to clarify also that when he talks about joy, joy is not the opposite of sadness, of sorrow. I mean, Jesus is labeled as a man of sorrows. Otherwise, Jesus would not be following this because he, hey, he should be rejoicing always and he was sad sometimes, so oops, something is wrong there. The opposite of joy is hopelessness. It's when we don't see the result, we don't see what can come out of it. 
when we read a few seconds ago, uh, the text in Romans uh, 5, it says that, that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So hope is the reason we rejoice. It's the reason that we can go through the circumstance and look beyond them and understand that that's where it, it, it comes from. Um, Again, Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, uh, he says this super strong verse, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Yesterday, Liz had uh, the opportunity to get together with some of the Brazilian ladies, and they went for a farewell uh, Breakfast with Daniela Brenner. You guys know we are uh, supporting their ministry with uh, weekly translations. They are about to go to Brazil. Daniela lost her mom about a month ago. And she had the opportunity to go to Brazil. She had the opportunity to be with her mom in her last few minutes of life. She was singing together with her mom the hymns that her mom uh, loved. And it was COVID that uh, took her. And when Liz was talking to Daniela yesterday at the end of, the, uh, of that breakfast, obviously she is absolutely sad. She is very uh, sad about losing her mom on a, a relatively young age. But she is rejoicing knowing that her mom is now with a glorified body in the presence of the, of the Lord because she had put her hope in, in the Lord. So you see, when... When hope beats sadness and we can have joy, despite of the circumstances not being exactly what we would hope they, they would be. Let's take a look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Well, a few months ago, I did the introduction to the book of Philippians when we were about to start this series. And I confess to you guys that that's an area that I struggle, the area of anxiety. It's not that I have anxiety attacks or panic or that I uh, go crazy about it, but I like to have things under control and life is not always under control. I, maybe it's even, there is a, a pinch of, of pride in that approach that I have to the situations that I want to know that I can impact them, that I can have uh, an effect. So again, as I'm putting this together, studying this, and even talking to you guys now, I'm talking to myself as well, because it is, it is an area that it's particularly interesting for me to find out what is the remedy that God's propose for anxiety. And it's clear in the text that we just read, do not be anxious, but in prayer, okay? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known by God. So replace anxiety with prayer. And supplication, grounded in thanksgiving. A few minutes ago here in our service, we had our prayer of thanksgiving. That's extremely important to remember the, the blessings, who they come from, and we can 
focus more on the blesser than on the blessings and present our uh, requests. Now, when I read this verse, I, I stopped there again. I said, okay, make your requests, no, let your requests be made known to God. Doesn't he know already? Looks like we're informing God of something that he doesn't know. Well, obviously, that cannot be the, the correct understanding on this, right? It is that God expects us as his children to be dependent, to bring our needs uh, to him, to present our requests to him. With thanksgiving, bring our uh, supplication. Again, remember, focus on the blesser, not the blessing. Now, that solves it, right? We present our requests, God grant our requests, and we are good. Life is perfect, no problems, no, nothing, nothing goes wrong, right? I mean, it says there, you present your requests to God. Well, let's take a look at the next verse because that doesn't seem to be exactly where this is going. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ah, so presenting our requests to God brings a promise. But it's not a promise that our requests will be granted. That's not what the text is saying. The promise is the peace of God in a way that is beyond what we can understand. I mean, we are in, in situations that maybe we would say, I should despair. I should be crushed. We read those verses from Corinthians. But the peace of God is what's going to keep us with the hope uh, for it. So God is not the genie of the lamp in the Aladdin's uh, story, right? That we rub and we, we grant our requests. Yes, he wants to hear our requests. He wants us to have that dependence, come to his presence, present it. But again, what he promised is peace of God, his peace coming to our hearts, guarding our hearts and, and our minds with, uh, with that. A good friend of mine from work, uh, from one of our South Carolina plants, he, last Sunday he lost his young wife to cancer. He's a good Christian. We were exchanging messages. We talked a few times during this process that she went through. Again, obviously, his prayer during her sickness was that she would be recovered. But obviously, that's clear now, that was not God's plan. But so what I'm praying, I, I even wrote to him again yesterday as I was preparing this, I stopped to send him a message saying that I'm praying that the peace of God, that's beyond understanding because I said, I can't imagine how much he is hurting. I cannot. I've never been to that situation. I cannot say, I know what you're feeling. Uh, I don't. But I can pray that the peace of God brings to his heart a hope that uh, he will be with her again. Now, there are a few extra points that I want to make on these verses. Uh, one of them, it says that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. So, both our intellect and our emotions are being taken care of by God. And actually, in many cases, when we are in a situation uh, 
that we are anxious about, that we are sad about, our, our mind and our heart may go in very different directions. I mean, uh, we have had examples recently. I don't want to prolong this too much, but uh, so the promise here is the peace of God will be acting on both your intellect and your emotions. Also, the verse ends with a familiar expression, in Christ, Pastor Chris' favorite. Have you noticed how many times he says that every service? In Christ, yeah, see that? Like, let's do, exchange the, the peace of God that we have in Christ, exactly. That's first, we need peace with God. That's what justification brings. That's why I made the point of spending a few minutes going back to our Christology 101 because the peace of God that we are talking about today is distinct but dependent on having peace with God. You follow me? Okay, two things, distinct but never separate. So with that settled, let's go to the next verse, verse eight. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Okay, I decide to share a secret with you guys at this point of the, the study. I can fall asleep very, very quickly, very, very easily. I remember when Muhammad Ali was uh, at the peak of his fame, he said once that he could turn off the light and be in bed before the bedroom was dark. <laughs> That's easy. I can turn off the light, be in bed, sleep and snoring before it's dark. Yeah. Well, all, all joking aside, I do sleep very easily. And, but I have a technique and I'll teach you now. Okay. Instead of thinking about problems, about tomorrow's schedule, about any concern that I have, I find something unimportant, not by any means uh, something that has to be done, not urgent, not relevant at all, and I think about that. So for example, I moved to this new house a few months ago, I'm dreaming about how I'm gonna do my man cave on the basement. I don't even know when I'm going to work on that. I mean, it may be years until I touch it. But I think, okay, I'm there to sleep, and I think, oh, maybe on the wall I'm going to cover with galvanized steel to give this industrial feel. I'm going to paint the joists in dull black, and that is beautiful. I sleep because I'm not worried about, oh, tomorrow I have that important meeting or I have to finish the sermon for Sunday or something like that. So that's my, my secret. So if I would put it this in Paul's style, I would say, whatever is unimportant, whatever is not urgent, whatever is irrelevant, think about these things and you're going to fall asleep. <laughs> okay. But obviously what Paul is doing here is way more important because it's not a technique to sleep fast. It's a technique for life. How are you going to live the Christian life, live a life that pleases the Lord? So here's where he goes with that. He lists some things that our mind should center on those, on whatever is true, honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. So what is he saying here? If you catch yourself thinking about something that doesn't match this list, shoot that thought away from your mind. 
come back to this because this is the way you're going to train your, 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 your brain your, to think in things. Th whatever is true. There are so many whatever here that I think, I don't know, Paul was not a teenager anymore and he wrote this, but it sounds like he was, right? Whatever. But, so whatever is true. So things that are valid, that are honest, that are reliable, whatever is honorable, noble, respectful things, whatever is pure, avoiding impure thoughts. That's a way that Paul is proposing here, that we train our brains. You think about something like that, you, you push that away. That's not where your thinking should be. Whatever is lovely, pleasing, agreeable, whatever is commendable, admirable, attractive, put your mind on these things. And then he changes the structure of the sentence, if you notice that. The last two, he says, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So he's kind of trying to make his listeners, the Philippians or Oaks Church, to think when you are, your train of thought is going in a certain, certain direction, you can ask, is that, is there excellence on it? Is there anything worthy of praise? Then go with that. Train your, your brain on that. Otherwise, push that to the, to the side. So that's why I said this is a, a very different text than the one in Philippians 2 where it was heavy on doctrine. This is practical. This is things for our lives that we can use on a daily basis. This is fisherman stuff, okay? This is water, salty water on our skin. Verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, Paul started the church in Philippi. He went back there at least a couple of times that we have record of it. So the Philippians heard his words, saw his life, and he's saying, Hey, that is, he's challenging them to practice what they have learned from him. But what I like on this one is the way he ends the verse. And the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, we, we said that we have peace with God through our justification. Throughout our life, we can access the peace of God in, in moments that we, that we need that to guard our hearts and minds. And now at the end here, he's saying, and the God of peace will be with you. And we have, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. That's the God of peace that is with us. So you see how much this, uh, this is combined. I mean, that's a cool combination. But... Let's not forget, even though we do benefit from this whole process, I don't want the focus to be on our benefit, but the focus to be that this is all for God's glory, okay? Not for, I mean, again, we, we do benefit for that, from that relationship with God, but ultimately the goal is the, the glory of God. So let's remember that as we walk through life, that we are working to have a life that pleases God, that we can access this peace of God that he offers here to our hearts and minds in the hope 
that he offers us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning again that we can open your word and look for a lesson for our lives, Lord. We thank you because you allow us to, to have peace with you. You reached out to us and we're not enemies anymore, Lord. And in our anxiety, in our difficult moments, we can access through prayer the peace that comes from you to, to our hearts and, and our minds. We thank you, Lord, because you've sent your Holy Spirit to live within us. And we praise your name for all that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.